Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodinToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by CNN Plus. We'll give you 25% more fake news than our free version. Guaranteed. Joe Rogan Gate continues. I don't see it slowing down. But before I jump into that story, I want to share a quick anecdote. I've been doing a lot of podcast interviews lately. I've been on like a million shows. It's a slight exaggeration. Of course, to promote virtue bombs, how Hollywood got woke and lost its soul. Plug is in the books. So I'm not giving anything away as far as who I spoke to. I'm going to keep that, obviously, anonymous. But... One particular podcast host was talking to me off air, and he shared the fear that grips both him and people within the Hollywood community. And I don't think this is just for conservatives. I think this is fear across the board. It certainly hits more people on the right than the left, but it's out there. And he told me a story about how he was accused of being a racist one time, and that he fought back so hard and so quickly, because I'm going to assume it was a hit job. It sounded like that from his description that the people accusing him of it behind the scenes in Hollywood, well, they stood down. That's a scary story. Imagine seeing your professional life just vanish in a puff of smoke and you didn't do anything to deserve it. That's what he faced. That's how close he came to being basically out of Hollywood. He got lucky, but of course, he took it upon himself to defend himself, and that's why he's still here. Now, the rest of our conversation was just as scary, i got to be honest. You just can't talk about almost anything behind the scenes in Hollywood and expect to keep picking up those paychecks. You've got to be super duper careful. You've got to watch every word that comes out of your mouth. Always, or of course, what appears on social media as well. To do anything differently is to risk your career. That is Hollywood right now. It's the new normal. Of course, I wrote about it in my book, but hearing these stories again and again and again it never stops shocking me. I, I shouldn't be shocked. I should know better. I see what's going on. I hear what's going on, but it's still happening. And you know what? If it's going on behind the scenes at Hollywood, pretty sure it's happening where you work, where you shop, where you go to church, just about every place in America right now, which I think leads us to Joe Rogan. And of course, the podcaster made a huge mistake recently. He saw a a compilation of him saying the N-word over and over again. Of course, he wasn't using it maliciously. He wasn't slurring it against anybody. He was describing a situation in which the word was used. Of course, that doesn't matter anymore. Context no longer matters. So he unleashed a mea culpa. It was was meandering. It was muling. It was all the things. It was part of the apology tour. You know it's just that's what celebrities do. Wrong. You never apologize to the woke mob. If they want your job, if they want you gone, they will not accept your apology. No matter how sweet, how heartfelt, how sincere it may be, they'll see it as a weakness and they'll double down against you. Now, I don't know how this this chronological order happened, but it seemed like right after that apology, a whole bunch of Joe Rogan Experience podcast episodes from the past 
disappeared from Spotify. Now, we later learned that this was with Joe Rogan's approval, because I'm sure he just couldn't wait to eliminate all the hard work he did in the past. It wasn't like he had a culture war gun to his head, of course. That had nothing to do with it. What did Adam Carolla tell us? You retreat, they encroach. I have to keep repeating that because it's a really succinct and important message. Probably put it in a poster. Put it on a postcard. Should be a meme, that's for sure. Got to get that out there. Now, this is all based on something very clear. The media wants Joe Rogan gone. Gone is what they want. Hollywood, a good chunk of Hollywood wants him gone too. Some comedians want him gone as well. It's just amazing. I will say some did stand up for Joe Rogan over the last few days. Russell Peters comes to mind. He's a very popular, very funny guy. And he had one of those unapologetic, I'm defending my buddy Joe Rogan messages on, on social media. Good for him. But let's not delude ourselves from the fact that Joe Rogan is in trouble. The microscope is on him now. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Every phrase, every joke, anything that could be remotely connected to racism or race in any way will be scrutinized, magnified. He is going to be in a world of hurt for the next, I don't know how long, maybe months, maybe years. And I think that the... Uh, the biggest test right now for Joe Rogan and his show and Spotify and the culture is what happens next on his show. Is he going to have innocuous comedian interviews? Will he have UFC fighters? What questions is he going to ask? Which ones won't he ask? Is he going to talk about the pandemic? Is he going to talk about media corruption? Because before this whole big situation blew up, that's what he was talking about. He was on a tear. He was crushing the media, and they deserve to be crushed. So will he keep doing that? What's the point of having an editorially neutered Joe Rogan? It's not worth my time. It's just like another, another podcast. What made him special was his unique voice, his energy, his power, his curiosity, his willingness to speak to people who don't get a voice, who don't get a chance to share their points of view. If he changes that, if he changes who he is and his approach, I think you're going to see his audience size and his clout just absolutely go down the tubes. We'd have to wait and see, but I am not optimistic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Right on Hollywood. What's the dial? <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The Toto Take of the Week is Flower. This indie film star Zoe Deutsch has a teenager with all kinds of moxie. She's got kind of a warped moral compass, too. I have to say the movie opens in a way I found very distasteful. Uh, she, one of the things that she likes to do, her character, is that she traps sex offenders with her feminine wiles. But her methods are pretty, pretty cagey, let's just put it that way. She's also got a single mom in the picture, no dad. It's, uh, the single mom is played by Katherine Hahn, who's always excellent, always funny, always clever, always worth seeing in any film. And turns out that this single mom is dating a fellow, seems like a decent guy, and the guy has a son who just is out of rehab and needs a place to stay. Now, this particular teenager is overweight and really troubled. He's just struggling. And Deutsch's character recoils at him at first, but then they seem to have some things in common. And that's where the story goes forward. It uh, turns out this particular teenager, someone attempted to molest him in school, and now Deutsch's character wants to do something for her new friend. Now, I have to say, a lot of indie films are slow. You know, that's perfectly fine. This one really moves. It's very quick. There's lots of stuff happening. I felt it was very well-constructed. I wasn't bored for a second. And Deutsch is really charismatic. She just has lots of screen presence. And she's Leia Thompson's daughter, if you remember her from uh, Back to the Future and other films. So if her face looks a little familiar, that's where she, she got some of her looks from. She really does hold this film together. Now, I have to say, the flower ending, I did not like at all. It just didn't work for me. It's a bit too upbeat. I don't mind upbeat, but you got to earn it. And this movie does not earn the upbeat ending. But I enjoyed this film. It was unexpected, interesting, caught my attention, never lost my attention. And if you're looking for something unique, I would give it a try. Flower is playing right now on Hulu. Check it out. 
You know, I just introduced a new feature on this show, Stars Gone Wild, and I thought, I don't think I want to do it this week. I don't want to, I don't want to be a downer every week. Maybe we kind of have it here or there. And then Susan Sarandon came along and messed up all my plans. The Oscar winner shattered an image of that New York City funeral. It was, it was sort of there was an aerial shot of all the police officers mourning the shocking death of one of their own, Jason Rivera. It's a horrible, horrible story. And uh, his widow just spoke so beautifully after, after the, during the ceremony. And so what did Susan Sarandon do? Well, she shared a picture of that. That's just an absolute flood of police officers in mourning. And what did she say about it? Well, the picture itself mentioned that these were fascists who had gathered, which is just disgusting on its own. How could you possibly see a funeral procession and share something so cruel, so unhinged, so nasty? But she did. But she also had to add her little, you know, little two cents into the story. So this is what she wrote on top of that image. So if all these cops were ne- weren't needed for crime that day, doesn't that mean they aren't needed any day? Cue the defund the police mantra, which has been abandoned by just about everybody, except Susan Sarandon. Now, I see a lot of dumb comments on, you know, from celebrities on social media, and I, I, I brush a lot of it off, a lot of it's stupid, dumb, whatever. It doesn't really matter. This one really got under my skin, and I think it did to other people too. Now, it didn't get a lot of media attention. One of the things that I cover a lot on the show is that the media covers for celebrities, especially liberal celebrities, when they behave badly. If a liberal celebrity does something wonderful, it's all over the press, and that's perfectly fine. But when they do wrong, when they're stupid, when they're ignorant, when they're just ghastly with their comments, chances are the mainstream media in Hollywood, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, will ignore it, and it's exactly what they did. So I was kind of surprised that she apologized after things, uh, after she let the message go out. I think some New York papers had talked about it, which is completely understandable. So she is very sorry. And I'm not going to read her exact apology. I thought it was, I don't want to say insincere, but it seemed like she missed the point entirely. But you know what? The cancel culture mob is not going to knock on her door. Not at all. This story is already done. It's over. It's already old. She picked on the right targets, the police, and she's a liberal in good standing. She's fine. No cancel culture worries. No woke mob knocking on her door. She will be A-OK. That is how the game works, folks. Well, I've been a busy podcaster of late, and I lined up a whole bunch of interviews. I was going to do them one at a time. I thought, well, let's, let's have a supersized episode, and that's what we got right now. So I've got not one, but two interviews for this week's show. First up is Christy Swanson. Now, she's got a great resume, the kind of resume most actors would just dream about but never really happen to them. Well, she made it happen, and she did it for a pretty early age, too. And, of course, she starred in two iconic John Hughes movies when she was younger, just starting out, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Pretty in Pink. And then, of course, she made it cool to slay the undead in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so much more. Just go, go look at her IMDb page. It's amazing. And she's never stopped working. That's pretty cool, too, because, you know, sometimes a lot of actors will strike with the iron is hot, maybe have a burst of different projects, and then things kind of cool down. But she is always working. Her newest project is interesting as well. She's playing a rancher in the Pure Flick series called Th- Sons of Thunder Redemption. It's kind of like Sons of Anarchy in a way, but with a spiritual twist. Again, it's on Pure Flick, so it's for the whole family. Now, Christy got a really early break in Hollywood. It didn't become one of those awful child star disaster stories. She seems very well-grounded. And I have to say, just in talking to her, just a quick spoiler alert, she just seemed normal. She was so gracious about the work she's done, the work she's doing now. If it all went away tomorrow, she sounds like she'd be okay with it. She's got a family. She's got a kid who plays hockey. Things are going well for her, and she doesn't need Hollywood. I think that is probably the most refreshing and healthy approach when it comes to acting, because Hollywood is pretty crazy, in case you haven't noticed. I'm really glad Chrissy took the time to speak with us this week, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Chrissy, thanks for joining the show. So let's talk a little bit about your character on Sons of Thunder Redemption. You're a ranch owner. You get Your whole world is getting intertwined with Jacob and his new life. Take it from there and, and share a bit more. Give us a, a behind-the-scenes look at your character and what's going to be happening in, this, in the show. Uh, well... I've, I've actually seen the first three, I think, the first three that were dropped or four. I don't know. There, I don't even know how many there are at this point because they, I, I guess they're half hour episodes. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so I don't know how it's, uh, I can't really give away how well, it ends up. <laughs> well, just tell uh, us about your character. That's all. <laughs> yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't want any spoilers here. 
so my character is fun and I, I, I mean, it's such a joy to play Linda because it's, <laughs> she's based on a gal that is one of my best friends, Heather Gibson, who used to be my stunt double many years ago. Oh gosh. And um, not in the storyline, but in mm -hmm. real life. And so um, we shot this show at her ranch in Los Angeles, uh, her and her husband, um, Dale Gibson own this ranch out there. They do, you know, they do all their horse work out of there and they have borders and, and they do stunts and movies and shows. And uh, so since I moved from California, any, every time I go there to back to LA, that's where I stay is with Heather and Dale. So the fact that we were shooting this show at the, at, at the location, or staying at the location where we're shooting was fantastic. And I was playing a character based on her. So, uh, and she's a character. So <laughs> that was a blast, but it was just cool because for so long, she always emulated me by doing stunts and then this time I'm emulating her, which is, was really special and it, it was great. So I, you've been doing, I had a good time. Doing you've been doing research for this role for years now without even knowing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. No, uh, when you, I imagine you've worked with different stunt doubles over the years, what makes a good stunt double for you or someone who's you're working closely with? It sounds like you had a good relationship in that way. What, what makes that connection click? Um, Hmm. Well, for for uh, for Heather and I, it was uh, that was pretty simple. I mean, we were doing the Phantom, so we were mm -hmm. um, in the middle of the jungle in Thailand for like six weeks, and um, we were the same age, and we worked closely together anyway. So we just, you know, became friends. Mm -hmm. So we, we and and we've been friends ever since, which is awesome. So I'm, you know, I'm glad that uh, she was on that project. But um, I think what makes a great stunt, I've always got, uh, I've always worked very well with any stunt double that I had. Um, I have a high re respect for what they do and uh, always listen. And, uh, you know, when I see them going the extra mile to move like you or walk like you or stand like you, you know, because just doing the stunt is one thing and that's great that they can do something like that. But if they're having to walk or run in a scene prior to that stunt and they can capture how your cadence, I would say yeah. the way you move, um, then, you know, I think that's talent, yeah. you know, and I think that that's really important and it's not easy to do because they're going to, want to get into that the way that they do physically and when they have to emulate somebody else's, mm -hmm. you know, it's tricky on the mind, you know? I think it's one of the parts of show business that doesn't get enough attention or respect because I mean, that's it's just amazing. Just mimicking not just you doing the stunts, but also kind of capturing your essence. That's that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. you, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about Pure Flakes and, and the whole concept behind Sons of Thunder is it's such a unique spin on, you know, we've seen Sons of Anarchy, we've seen things like this, but this takes it in a whole new direction. Uh, Share some thoughts about that. It's just that maybe 20, 30 years ago, there wouldn't be a platform that would be able to approach this subject in this unique and challenging way. But here we are. It's here. You know, you're in it. Uh, mm -hmm. share, share that kind of journey as, as, as a storyteller. You know, w w this is different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, as a kid myself, you know, I mean, I grew up on shows that were faith friendly. You know, I mean, there, you know, you had Little House on the Prairie and you had the Waltons and like different shows that had that sort of feel to it, you know, mm -hmm. um, this show goes a little deeper, um, but it's not like in your face. Um, but, but what it is, is it's, it's just generally just really truly and, and crystal clearly explaining like what's important in life mm -hmm. and how to treat others and, that kindness changes everything and um, and the choices that we make in life and how important those are and how they affect so many people. So uh, I love that these shows or these episodes, because I haven't seen all of their shows, but um, that that's, that's what they're putting out there. That's the content that they're putting out there that mm. uh, to be reminded of the goodness and um the graciousness and the forgiveness and um 
and that just warms my heart to be a part of a project like that. Yeah. It's funny, a few months ago, I spoke to Dennis Quaid and talked about some of the roles he's been taking. And he really has been more aggressive in, I want to do some projects that are full of uplift, that are that, that speak to something you know higher, that, that really kind of leave the audience with a feeling of, of a, a, a kind of a boost. It could just be, it could be an underdog story, things like that. Do you find that you're kind of in a similar, maybe place of, of, of career choices where you want to do things like that more so than maybe when you're in your twenties or just starting out? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I was always open to doing them. There just wasn't a lot of them around <laughs> That's when right, I was yeah. in my twenties, uh-huh. uh, to be honest, uh, there just wasn't a faith friendly sort of, uh, movement at mm-hmm. that time. That's true. Um, but, uh, I think the first, maybe the one of the first ones that I did was uh, uh, Dallas Jenkins' um, "What If" with Sorbo, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that. I mean, I just yes, I I do. I actually do like doing projects like that. I mm-hmm. like doing things that that's gonna really make someone ponder and think, and maybe affect their life in some way that is for the good. Gotcha. You've done other Pure Flix projects as well before this. I'm sure the nuts and bolts are the same as any other project, acting, setting up your shot, you know, the stunts, whatever goes on behind the scenes. But is there is there something different about the experience, not just the finished product and the fact that it's more faith-friendly, but is there anything else that maybe sets a, a Pure Flix uh, film or TV show apart from others you've done in the past? Um, hmm. I I do notice that the camaraderie within the cast mm-hmm. on the the few that I've done uh, what was top notch and you know really on point and uh, you know in in support and you know connection and you know uh, um, communicating and listening and uh, you know, really being there for each other and looking out for each other. I, I just, I, I've been on other sets and other movies and sometimes it's not always like that. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I'm looking back at you, all the work you've done and I always think this question always pops to my mind. I'm sure it pops in other people's minds too, is when you're working on a project that becomes a pop culture sensation, a Ferris Bueller or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, do you have any sense of it when you're on the set, when you're you're hitting your marks, when you're doing your lines, that it's going to be something really special? Is it possible to even have a kind of foresight, or you just kind of say, "Doing my best, got it," you know, see what happens next? What, what, looking back at those experiences, d- did you get a sense that these were really special yeah. things happening? Well, when we were filming it in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, when we're all on set as cast and we're laughing and it's just funny and we're you know my god people are gonna think this is so funny you know we you know you have that those moments yeah but i've always been a very realistic in the fact that you know when a movie comes out in the theater it's a crapshoot and you just don't know what's going to happen and you know don't sure you can have uh you can hope that you know it will be well received but you don't know if the marketing or the timing affects it. Maybe it's a great movie, but the, just the timing of it's yeah, wrong yeah. or whatever, you know? So I, I, I don't want to like, I didn't want to like set myself up for some big disappointment. I do the movie and then if it gets its legs, great. If it doesn't, well, there's not a whole lot I can do, mm-hmm. you know, uh, other than move on. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, we we thought it was pretty darn funny when we were making it. But uh, I mean, you could never you could never see like how the pop culture part of it. You just you just don't know how or when that's going to happen. Yeah, you you were um, you know working on major projects at a young age, at a time where people were kind of maybe a little bit lost, and you you've been able to kind of stay grounded. Do you find that younger stars, when you work on projects, that they reach out to you and say, hey, you know? Gosh, I'm I'm 21. I I want to be an actor, or actress. Any advice? Do 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 they do people come to you? I mean, you've navigated mm-hmm. this world and survived. You're you're not one of the horror stories. You're one of the happy stories. So, do do you find other yeah. stars? You know, will connect with you on that on that sort of area in a way. 
Yes, because I, you know, I play, I've been, what, for the last 20 years, I've been playing the mom, you mm-hmm. know? So I immediately when I'm on a set and I'm working with either little kids or, you know, tweens or teens or anything like that, I, I, I make myself available. I let them know um, they have my support mm-hmm. and, you know, cause I was a child actor and I, I know what you might be going through in this moment to that moment. If you're feeling a little insecure about something, don't be embarrassed. If you have a question, there's, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Just know that I'm here for you. Yeah. So I always am that way. So right off the bat, we instantly create a relationship, you know what I mean? Like a, a banter and a and conversation. And they just feel comfortable to come to me with anything. And, um, you know, most of them, a lot of them say, so if I was, <laughs> if I'm going to, you know, keep doing this acting thing, what advice would you give me? Yeah. You know, I get that a lot. What do you say? Um, or is it I different say, for everyone? I, well, I say always, no matter, you know, where your journey takes you as far as a career and what level or whatever, doesn't matter. Just always be humble. Mm-hmm. Um, always remember this moment right now. Um, don't forget that. Don't forget where you started and, and how you got there and who supported you to get there. Um, but when it comes to your talent, the, you know, the one thing I can tell you, uh, and cause I'm grateful that I, that I did, that I actually did it was, uh, I just taught myself to be Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. So learn everything, learn how to play a violin, learn how to play the piano, go out and do dance lessons, go, uh, play soccer. If you've never done it before, go surf, what, you know, don't compete at it. Don't get in, you know, unless you want to do that as a hobby, but try to learn, try to stay connected, you know, with a few different sports or arts or things like that throughout the year, depending on, you know, the the weather and things like that, skiing or, or whatever, or, you know, learn how to, you know, I mean, just learn, learn how to do things that, that you won't be in a situation where you have fear. Mm -hmm. If that comes up in a, in a role that you're playing, Oh, interesting. Um, you'll just, you'll learn things about yourself and how much, how much strength and power you have and uh, how much you trust yourself and trust others. And, and you just keep your, yourself athletic. Um, of course, if you ever do like a action movie, you'll have stunt doubles, but you need to be able to be ready and, and do part of it. You know, you don't want to, you know, don't lie to people and say you can ski if you can't. <laughs> That's right. You know. <laughs> now, you navigated that when you were younger. Did you did you have older stars who reached out to you in that way? Or did you kind of learn the hard way and just by trial and error? Um, no, I just, I just knew. Mm-hmm. I just, I well, I was involved in a lot of things as a young person, and I was, I was already athletic, and that's what I tell these kids is, if you're not, you know joe athletic don't worry about it go privately with private lesson and you don't have to get into a class but just learn some stuff about Mm -hmm. how your body moves and how to control it learn some uh taekwondo or some fighting or whatever just learn how to do those kinds of things and um because it basically it's character research for the future you you mentioned before that um you don't quite know what a movie is going to, you know, what's going to pop at the box office. There's so many things out of your control and you have actually, some of your projects have been just huge hits. Were there, is there anything in your past sort of your film or TV shows you've done? We thought, gosh, you know, it didn't really connect with the public at the time, but boy, I, I'm really proud of that. That was really good. I, I think maybe if people gave it a second chance, they may have, they may come around to it. Anything like that in your resume? Cause there's so many, you, you've done so much, but I'm just kind of curious if there's one, <laughs> one project we thought, oh man, I just, that, that, it just didn't get the, the, the respect it deserved. Um, no, I don't think I, I don't, I don't think I have emotional attachments like that. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. like to me, that sounds like, uh, well, I guess I, I mean, fair. I mean, well, I mean, I look at a movie like eight heads in a duffel bag. So silly and ridiculous. <laughs> right. But I never like that set my memory from that set is like, I never laughed so hard in my life than every day on that set because of Diane Cannon and um, George Hamilton and David Spade. Like there was just this, 
magic formula between them that just made, had everybody in stitches all day long. So it was just, you know, I was like, I wish people understood how funny these, <laughs> I mean, the movie didn't do well in the box office, right? Yeah. So I just wish that one had turned out okay. a little bit better, but I have no control over that stuff, you sure. know? So I try not to get emotionally involved. I, I only have control over what I do when the camera's rolling and when it cuts, gotcha. you know, mm -hmm. you and I were talking a little bit off air about hockey and my, my son is 10 and he's just a, a whiz. You've, you've got a son who's a hockey player as well. I was kind of curious, is mm -hmm. he thinking about maybe college hockey? Do you think he might even try acting on for size? What, what's sort of uh, is, is mama looking to <laughs> nudge him this no. way or that way? Or what's, what's, what's going acting, forth? No. <laughs> no, no, acting's not in the cards for him. He's, he has no interest, okay. um, which is totally fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, his his grades have been stellar. He's already a sophomore, and he's you know academically he's he's always been shining in that regard. So I'm so grateful for that because mm. I was not that kind of student myself. So sometimes I wonder if he was switched at birth or something at Cedar <laughs> Sinai. But um, but he you know he he loves sport. He loves um, competition and it teaches him a lot of great things about himself. And um, as far as hockey, go, you know, he's at that age where he's, I mean, he's a sophomore, he's just turning 15. Mm -hmm. So he, he need, you know, he hasn't quite done the growing yet. I think he's going to be a late bloomer as far as height. Yeah. Yeah. But it's coming. It just hasn't hit yet. And there's a lot of these, 14 15 year olds that are giants right oh gosh yeah so yeah so i don't i don't know it's going to depend on you know mm -hmm. when he gets a little a little taller but the, the game the hockey sense the, the i mean he, he when it comes to passing and connecting with others and giving them a shot and like kind of predicting what could happen mm -hmm. he's really great at that yeah but he's still developing you know i mean when they're 10 11 12 14 15, they're just they're they're their bodies, when they get, you know, into the teens, their bodies, you know, a lot of them grow really fast and then their minds are trying to keep up with this big body that they have that they're not used to. That happens as well, you know? So, um, you know, they just, he just, he goes out there and he, and he gives it his all, yeah. you know? Well, and, I mean, 10 years old, what is that squirt? Is that squirt? No. You know, I'm not even sure what the level is. I and mean, he, he bounce, my, my son oh. bounces around. He actually plays with some 14 year olds at times. So, oh, that's which, awesome. which is fun, fun and scary. The first time he lined up with the 14 year olds, I turned to my wife and said, Oh my God, what have we done? And then he played fine. So he hangs in there, but uh, it's, it's a great mm -hmm. sport. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, I want to hear more about your son as, as he progresses. Yeah. Before I let you go, Christy, oh, you know, yeah. the pandemic is quasi lifting things are getting a little bit better i was kind of curious if you have other projects lined up or anything maybe even just like a dream project that you've thought about for years because you've done so much and you know you're still still <laughs> going strong but anything that's sort of just on, out of reach that you'd like to maybe get it within reach in the, in the next couple of years as far as the acting goes uh i think um i just stay open to whatever might come my way mm -hmm. you know I, I'm grateful for the career that I've had. If I, if I never acted again, I'd be at peace with that. But I'm not saying that I won't act again. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's all been so good. And I've had such a good ride in life. And I, and I want to, I would love to continue. I, I, you know, I've been playing the mom for the last 20 years. Like, you know, maybe I'll start playing the grandma soon. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I would love to do that. Mm -hmm. I would love to be acting when I'm older, but, um, I, you know, I'm really just enjoying these years with my son, um, at this age, you know, in high school and stuff and, and being around him and, and, and with all his hockey friends, you know, and my, you know, my husband coaches the hockey players on their edges and he's power skating coach. So I go out there and I film them. And, uh, and we do video village and, you know, a uh, video review analysis and all that stuff, which is very helpful to them. And, and I really enjoy doing that. I love watching them all grow and get better as skaters and, and just see their, um, you know, their confidence level just rise, mm -hmm. which is really fun for me. Like, I love doing that, but if, if they wanted to do sons of thunder, you know, 
the next, you know, series or whatever and ask me to do that, I would be open to that. Um, but you know, I just kind of take one day at a time to be honest with you. Yeah. You sound like you have a well-rounded life and that I think that serves acting and everything else in between. But, uh, <laughs> Christy, uh, thank you for joining the show and, and being such a, uh, a great you. follow on Twitter, by the way, you're at Christy Swanson XO. It's smart. It's mm-hmm. sassy. And you don't have that anger that some people have. So I appreciate that, that on uh, social media. And of course the new show is sons of thunder redemption. You can watch it at PureFlex, yeah. but if you're not a subscriber, just go to pureflex.com, fix that in a jiffy. Christy, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again. And I want to check out your book. Absolutely. I don't mind anyone plugging virtue bombs, how Hollywood got woke and lost its soul. Thanks again. Okay, <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You know, I've been following the work of comedian Lou Perez for a while now, and I'm proud to say that I don't say we're friends. We're kind of cyber friends as, as social media goes these days. But we do email now and then and check in now and then. And he's a really funny guy. And, of course, good stand-up comedian. You know that. He's on great video work as well. But there's more to Lou Perez than that. He's really smart. He's also willing to tweak both sides of the aisle. I love that with the, you know, when it comes to comedians and, and satirical humor. We need more of that in our culture for sure. He also understands the, the stakes in play in the culture wars and, you know, why they matter beyond comedy, beyond Hollywood. He gets it. Now, I will say that this interview is a little bit different than normal. We're kind of interviewing each other. And uh, if you want to hear this interview in a different venue, you can check out the Lou Perez podcast because you're going to find it there soon, too, as well. But he mentioned this to me as an idea. I was like, hey, let's go for it. Let's have something a little bit different, a little bit unique. Uh, why not? And uh, I think he might be a little curious about me. And I know I'm always curious about what work he's up to, including a new book, which I'm excited about, which he'll share more about in this com- upcoming conversation. Uh, Lou is just a good guy. He need more people like him in the Hollywood scene. He is brave. He is bold. He's savvy. And he's been pretty sharp on social media as well. So if you're not following him, please do so. Funny stuff, thought-provoking as well. And, you know, a few sharp elbows. Sometimes that's exactly what you need. Here's my conversation with Lou Perez. Well, Lou, thanks for joining the show. And I, I like the fact that we're going to go back and forth and just have a have a real conversation. And, uh, both of our audiences can share and get something out of it. But I want to start with something I noticed about you on Twitter. And I guess you, you follow me, I follow you, and you're always funny and you're kind of gentle at times with your humor, I think, as opposed to some other folks. But I have to say, I think you're throwing a little more of the sharp-elbowed tweet out there now and then. Is, is that a fair take? And I was kind of curious why, because I, I tend to think of you as one of the more uh, um, reasonable voices, and you still are, but I, I sense an edge to your, your commentary of late. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, uh, I wonder what's happening to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of forced to ask myself that question. Um, I don't know if uh, perhaps the uh, the inspirations that are coming to me are a lot have to do with a little bit more uh, edgy or, or dangerous material. Or uh, maybe it's a product of kind of being cooped up in a very cold, uh, northeastern part of the country. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the one thing, the one thing I would say is I, I, at least I hope that, you know, anything that's coming out, if it, uh, whether it has, you know, edge or it's a little bit more playful, um, I, I hope it, I hope it's at least a, a little original, you know, I hope, uh, I hope people are getting at least, uh, you know, that from it. And uh, who knows, maybe, you know, um, uh, I'll be doing a little bit more um, upbeat, happier stuff. Yeah, I'm hoping that <laughs> I'm hoping current events <laughs> plays into that. And your your stuff is always funny and interesting and thought provoking. I I didn't you know I just I don't know I, I I think I think maybe I'm too self analytical because I sense it in myself sometimes too. And so I have to kind of like I have to like remind myself, hey, don't be a downer, don't be so hardcore, don't be so political. Throw some fun stuff in there, and I'll just put a picture of my dog on Twitter and just <laughs> kind of shake things up a bit. Well, I think I, I think that says a lot about you and and. Um, and other people like that, where that rather than just uh, allowing, you know, social media to be sort of the, uh, 
you know, the unfiltered, uh, you know, kind of garbage factory that it can be, you know, you actually, you know, take a, a step back and say, hey, what is this saying about me? Um, and do I like what it's saying about me? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's something, you know, I, I think I look, you know, I've been on probably Twitter for over a decade. I can't even believe that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, you know, going through all different, uh, you know, uh, uh, stages of, uh, you know, career development and all that. I haven't been doing a lot of um, uh, uh, sketch comedy videos. So there might, there might be something to that where when I was doing, producing a lot more sketch comedy, uh, kind of my, uh, my focus was on, you know, being able to you know, write a three to five page script and to produce it and edit it and get it out there. Whereas um, maybe that took a, a, you know, a little bit of the, uh, you know, that, that essence away from, uh, uh, from Twitter. Interesting. Actually, I reached out to some people on Twitter, I think last week and said, Hey, what are some fun accounts I can follow uplifting, inspirational, motivational, just because I wanted, I wanted to have more of that in my, in my life and in my, uh, my voice. And, you know, we're both entrepreneurs in ways we're kind of creating our own business and blazing our own trails for better and worse, <laughs> at least in my, my situations. So I, I think you have to be extra careful of how you sound on social media. Oh, sure. I mean, it could get, you know, uh, you know, people can catch the worst of you. I mean, the, the, the idea that, you know, you can kind of be summed up in one line uh, and then, you know, that, you know, paints a, a picture for, you know, for mm -hmm. a lot of people, especially uh, like, you know, we've been following each other for a while. So, um, you know, you're able to, you know, see the different sides of least of what I'm uh, revealing on, on, uh, on social media. Um, you know, who was a really good, who was a really good uplifting follow uh, the lead actor in what was that movie? Shazam? Was it? Was Zachary Levi? Yeah. He was like a very, I remember coming across his work, and uh, he dealt with, I guess, haters in such a positive, mm. zen-like manner uh, that there was, it, it was sort of, it was nothing but enlightenment and kindness and wishing the best for the, uh, you know, for the other person, even if the other person kind of uh, came at him hard on, on Twitter. And what's fine, I haven't seen his stuff in a while. So, you know, maybe he was like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta get away from this stuff. <laughs> He did a secret out on us. I actually find that Pat Zajac can be very funny. Yeah, he's right of yeah. center, but he doesn't really get too heavy in the mix, but he's very self-deprecating and kind of, you know, taking his own community to task. And I find that very enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, well, isn't it interesting that a lot of uh, uh, game show hosts seem to be, you know, right of center or, hmm. or libertarian. Um, it's, I, I almost feel like they're, uh, uh, they're almost like double, winners like they sort of won the lottery in that they you know are able to host a game show and also they won the lottery by being born in a country where they can host a game show. that's right and also i think they they meet such a wide swath of americans they maybe that has an influence on them but it is interesting a little bit like snl alums seem to be drifting to the right of late once they leave the that that atmosphere the ecosystem yeah yeah for sure one thing I've been doing a lot, and I'm sure I'm boring people at this point, is talking about my book, Virtue Bomb. So I know you have a book that's on the way, not quite there yet, but coming soon. And I love the title, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. So to, uh, give us a little bit of insight. I know this you're sort of knee deep in there, but what can you, what can you tease about it? Sure. Uh, so uh, the quote, you know, that joke isn't funny anymore for all my Smiths fans out there. Um, it comes from a, a track off of the Meat is Murder album. And... Um, uh, it, it all started when I wrote an article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal at the end of 2020 titled How I Became a Far-Right Radical. <laughs> and uh, in the article, it was me um, uh, pushing back against a academic paper that was uh, about the uh, supposed growth of right-wing echo chambers on YouTube. Um, very scary language. And in it, uh, at, the, at the end of the paper, there was a list of all these different channels that they they deemed far right and wouldn't you know that my channel that i was working for at the time we the internet tv was was on that was on that list and uh, a buddy of mine uh, noam dwarman who's the owner of the uh, of the comedy cellar he shared it with me and he said he said you got to respond somehow like, do a video <laughs> write something um and i was like ah you know whatever but then the more that i thought about it the uh, angrier I got because I was like, wait a minute, you know, I had uh, I had just lost my job 
And um, we were, you know, I was a couple of months into, you know, being unemployed and wondering where, where my career was going to go. And then I just imagined, wait, if somebody came across, you know, we, the internet TV and saw my mug or they saw my resume and saw that I worked there and they start associating me with like far right. Like who wants to work with that guy? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's, I guess it's sort of similar, like, you know, taking someone for their, at their worst tweet, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Um, so, uh, Noam, uh, thanks to him, he, uh, uh, put me in touch with the wall street journal. Uh, they ran the, uh, the article and then I, uh, I got my book deal off of that. Wow. So, uh, nice. Yes. So the, uh, it's my first book and you know, I, I don't know if you had this experience where you start out, uh, thinking your book is going to be one thing and then it just sort of takes on uh, a life of its own. Uh, so in it, you know, I, I've sort of, uh, been exploring or relearning why comedy is so important to me, mm -hmm. why I've devoted so much of my life to it. And, uh, so that's been, uh, that's been a lot of what the book is about where a lot of people see, you know, sort of like the death of comedy and, you know, you can't make jokes anymore and you can't say this, you can't say that. So I'm coming out and, and trying to change people's opinion on that and say, no, actually this is the best time to be doing comedy. And oh, interesting. If you stick, if you stick with me for, you know, however many thousands of words that I, that I put down, um, I hope to uh, entertain you and then also uh, leave you hopeful for the future of the laugh industry. You know, what's interesting, we've seen a few pretty major players in pop culture pass recently, Bob Saget and Betty White. And what were they? They were, they were comics. They were people who made us laugh over decades. And, and we had such a strong reaction to them when they died. Of course, Betty White was older, but we still, we thought she'd live forever. And Bob Saget was only 65. But, you know, people who make us laugh consistently over the years and have a fairly positive outlook. And, you know, I... I can't remember what Bob Saget said that was mean-spirited. I mean, he's always he could be dirty, but he wasn't like railing against people. And Betty, Betty White was just America's grandma. But it, it does mean something for people who are bringing joy into our lives, and that's what comedy is. So I think even on that level, it's it's worth exploring and worth defending. Yeah, and, and for for your listeners and my listeners as well, I would highly recommend you guys listen to Bob Saget's um, uh, uh, story about um, Norm Macdonald or Bob Saget's response to the death of his best friend, Norm Macdonald, who, you know, only passed away, uh, you know, not too long before Bob Saget did. And, uh, the, uh, the love that those two men, you know, had for each other, their friendship is, is, uh, it, it was wonderful, uh, to listen to. Um, and yeah, that there is something about, uh, someone who's able to make you laugh is, when you think about it, it's kind of rare, you know, you think about how many people you pass on the street or how many people, you know, whose lives, you know, uh, you're, uh, you're in, or you come into contact with, and it's like, they're not funny, you know? <laughs> and then it's, and then it's the people where, you know, you can go to a party, you could be at a party for, uh, for four hours. And the only thing you remember is that one guy or that one woman who, who made you laugh, you know, and it could, uh, it uh, laughter, I think could, kind of have a life of its own and and it's also i think a reminder too of life as well it's sad to me that the, the movie going experience is changing and the audiences have been dwindling unless it's a superhero film and even i think horror films have actually done fairly well during the pandemic but i would think that there aren't many examples of it but to me the communal experience in a theater is great for you know like a black widow or something with the, the razzmatazz but horror when you're all scared and gripping your armrests and kind of have a collective sense to what's going on, but also comedy. If you see a comedy in a big theater with a whole bunch of people and everyone's laughing, it's more fun. And it, it, to me, it's kind of sad that, that that part of it has kind of been missing in recent in recent years because they just don't make that many comedies, and they certainly don't make that many good comedies. So it's, you know, I, I think I think that's another money money left on the table because Hollywood could be bringing that to the attention and could be getting some more cash out of it, and yet they're they're kind of passing up on it. Yeah, and I know you've you've written about this uh, before, and uh, I actually, when I think when I read one of your articles about it, sort of like the uh, uh, the death of of the comedy feature film, I was like, oh no, I my, me and my partner just wrote a comedy, <laughs> and it and it's a feature. Oh no, uh, but yeah, I, I uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the last comedy that I saw in the theater. I remember I saw Borat in the theater with two of my friends, and I laughed so hard. 
And then I think I, I saw Jackass 3D in the theater. And that was another one where I was like, you know, just bold, you know, just just dying from from laughter. Um, but those, you know, I think just thinking about those two mm -hmm. films and probably probably the reason why they they stand out is because they are these kind of big films, like something that you would want to see on the uh, uh, on the big screen, where I think a lot of uh, comedy, especially in the feature film department, has kind of gone the way of like, here's a sad story that was written by a comedian. And, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of like smaller. It's like, uh, you know, uh, mom's sick or uh, best friend is suicidal. And let's see, you know, what happens with this, you know, rather uh, small story, which I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there are some, maybe we're just going to the way that, you know, some movies need to be experienced on a, on a couch as opposed to, uh, you know, a movie theater. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, mean, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think there are movies that just do work perfectly in a small venue on a couch with your friends, with your wife kind of snuggled up. That's, you know, that's what they're meant for. I mean, if you see them on this big screen, it doesn't hurt the experience, but, you know, there's, there's an intimacy that goes into the theatrical model that uh, is worth exploring. You, you know, we kind of alluded to the times, the fact that times are hard and there's pressure and people are fighting over COVID and everything. Does that sort of impact your your comedy outlook? Do you try to maybe tell more uplifting jokes or jokes that kind of cut against the grain or how to, as a comedian, how do you kind of process that, that reality? Well, I think, uh, the, the times that I've been on stage, you know, during, uh, during the plague, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I've been, you know, like pointing out at how this should be normal, you know, us all in this room, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, experiencing live comedy but it's not normal so behind everything there is this uh um you know there is this sensation that what we're doing isn't normal anymore and there's something perhaps a little bit more special to it um and i've noticed uh, uh you know doing live shows that the audiences are really hungry to be there and to you know for if they're willing to come out mm -hmm. anyway yeah um they you know some of them i guess in some people's minds they're they're risking it all, you know, to come and see you perform. Um, and that's, uh, that's a pretty, uh, pretty cool thing. I don't think you're going to see the hosts on the view coming to your next show though. Just a heads up. They don't <laughs> seem, they don't seem involved. They don't want to be there mask or no mask or vaccine or anything. So uh, just, <laughs> just get ready for that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually kind of life affirming. The fact that if the, if the folks are willing to go out there, they are just ready to rock and ready to roll. And maybe they won't, uh, record you and, 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 uh, tattle on you for telling the wrong joke maybe there's another benefit of that right right yeah gotcha um, well talk a little bit about your your peers uh, do you i mean do you congregate with fellow comedians do you find that there are sort of similar things on their minds or does each comedian have a kind of a wildly different approach to the culture right now well let's see my uh so i'm married and i have two children uh both i have two under two so one of them is, uh, he's going to be two in, a, in two months. And the other one is about three and a half months old. Uh, so my life uh, is not going out. Okay. <laughs> so, so all of my, um, all of my contact with my comedy peers, it's, uh, you know, via like, you know, text message or, or email. Mm -hmm. So, so we're sort of uh, keeping each other in the loop by sending one another memes and, <laughs> and, uh, and that sort of thing. And, uh, I, yeah, so it's been a while since I'm, man, I'm so, I'm such a boring guy. It's like been a while since I've been out and, you know, had beers or, uh, stayed late after a show and, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and all that. Well, perfectly normal. The fact that you're not falling asleep mid conversation, is a good sign <laughs> with two oh, youngins man. like that. The sleep thing is a, is a significant issue. So I think you're, I think you're it's... just, just being boring is perfectly fine. <laughs> it's unreal. I, I also, I, I, uh, the 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 cry the scream of a newborn is something that I uh, I, I, don't, I don't wish that upon anybody. <laughs> I don't wish that upon my my worst enemy, Christian. What's funny? When, once I almost got numb to it. I have two kids, and they're they're older now. But I, I think when you're when you're reacquainted with it, it, it becomes even more frightening because like, oh, how did I live through that? Well, yeah, you just you just do. You just get used yeah. to it. You just kind of process and kind of muddle on and. 
then you think, well, how did I do it? Well, it's just, it's just, it becomes your normal. So that's, that's, that's the way it goes. Right. Right. Uh, you know, something I wanted to talk to you about, you know, definitely when it comes to uh, movies, um, you know, what's your origin story? You know, you're, you're a superhero when it comes to uh, film criticism. You, you bang out, I mean, you write so much, you put out so much material uh, uh, every day and every week. Um, how, did, how did you start doing this stuff? Well, Roger Ebert, a radioactive Roger Ebert, bit me when I was at a lab. And, <laughs> you know, I went to art school because I want to be an artist. I want to be a Marvel Comics artist forever. And then at some point I realized, oh, my God, I'm really not good enough. This is not happening. And then I, I always love movies, so I thought, let me try to write movie reviews. So I did it for my college newspaper. And then when I graduated, I thought, I'd love to do this, but I don't know how you get there. So I just took jobs in journalism and then begged and pleaded my way onto the arts desk. And uh, I did it in Pittsburgh briefly. And then when I moved to D.C., I did it more so, got more aggressive, and actually landed a movie critic job. And then when I decided to leave D.C. for Denver, I thought, well, journalism is kind of collapsing. What do I do? So I kind of said, well, I'm, I'm right of center and I don't see many right of center critics out there. So why don't I kind of lean into that, be myself and speak to an audience that doesn't get a lot of attention. And that's kind of been it. So I've been kind of just bouncing around that way. And then, you know, I've got a podcast, I've got a website. I do a lot of freelance work and um, the book. So I just been kind of making it up as I go along and really studying hard listening to podcasts about business and marketing and trying to educate myself in areas which I had zero, zero um, credentials, zero experience. I'm just, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not from an entrepreneurial family. So, um, you know, and my wife, God bless her, kind of gritted her teeth while I was making very little money. And then now I'm, I'm doing okay. So, you know, I'm, again, I'm still, it's the kind of career where you have to kind of constantly um, search out new information, network, uh, you know, push myself, push my name out there, push my brand out there. So it's, it's interesting, but it is exhausting. And I, I don't go on vacations really. Even when I do, I'm still working. My, my wife makes fun of me for that, but uh, I kind of work seven days a week. And when my wife says, Hey, I'm taking the kids out, you know, it's, it's hockey time or something. I'll say, okay, I'll just stay home and work. So, but I, I love it. I genuinely love it. And uh, I get excited by it all the time. And so that's, that's kind of keeping me going right now. Yeah, you know, there's there's something too, and you brought up, you know, being bitten by uh, the Roger Ebert radioactive, <laughs> radioactive Roger Ebert, um, and uh, I th there's something where I still go back and reread old um, columns that Roger Ebert would write, old you know, uh, criticisms of of movies, and uh, there's something uh, I think about a good critic, and you know, critics get a you know, get a bad rap. It's, you know, the artists are, are always like, well, if you could do what I do, you'd be doing what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Mr. Roger Ebert and you're writing the, the, Val the Valley of the Dolls or whatever that, uh, <laughs> that schlock piece was. Um, but I, I think, I think the sign of a, of a good critic is when you read their work and you find something more in the work that you both shared by, you know, by going to, uh, to see it. And, uh, so, so that's something I like, you know, in, in addition to your work, I, I, I enjoy reading Kyle Smith as well. From, yeah. He's uh, great. National review. And I, and I think, um, uh, yeah. And I, I think that it's important to have, uh, you know, well-written criticism. Um, there's a, there's a level of trust there as well, where uh, you, th there are critics. I remember this one art critic in particular named Jed Pearl. Uh, I think he wrote, I don't know, it was like the, the new Republic and, he would, uh, it seemed like everyone, everything that he wrote, it was just him just destroying a museum, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever exhibit, uh, they, they had on. Uh, so like anytime I wanted to, you know, read somebody caddy, I'd go and read, uh, Jed Pearl. Uh, but I think it's important, uh, you know, I guess now where, where I am to read critics who I know are coming in good faith and like come in wanting to enjoy the work and, you know, and if they don't, if they don't enjoy it, they're going to have reasons why that, 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 that are, that, that you can respect. Um, and I think that's really important. One weird thing about my career right now is I'm often critiquing my fellow critics, which I think is not cool and not, uh, what I expected to do. But I, I also believe that some of them are behaving badly, that they're not really acting in good faith or they're using their prejudices to kind of overwhelm what the story, the review, the conversation is about. And if they're doing that, it, that's that's a problem. And you're basically the service you're providing is to be a film critic to say, hey, do you want to not spend two hours on this film? Well, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't spend two hours in this film. And you no, know, that's 
that's important. So that's that's their job. And even though I'm right of center, I can't look at a liberal film that's good and say, oh, don't you dare see that because that might change your mind about this this thinking that I had. So, you know, I think too many critics these days are doing that. They're, they're being aggressively uh, it, it just just like propagandists. It's, it's not right. And I again, I don't think it's cool to call out critics, but I, I think when they do that, then you shouldn't. Heck, if someone if I'm doing that and I'm guilty of it, I want someone to call me out, too. Yeah. And, and, and you know, something that I, that I noticed, too, uh, uh, a while back, I watched the HBO series, The White Lotus, and um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed The White Lotus. And uh, as I often do, if there's something that I like, I want to see what, you know, what, what people, what other people are saying about it. And I came across just so much criticism that was uh, basically saying, you know, I want, you know, I wanted him to write characters that I was comfortable seeing on, screen, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's like, well, you know, if that's what you want, then you got to make your own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, as opposed to well, w- the characters that he did present, what do you think about them and how did they re- relate to each other? Were they believable? Were they, did they feel authentic? Um, you know, what were the moments that, that stood out? Um, so yeah, I totally, uh, hear what you're saying on that front and by the way you know if you're watching a movie and it's maybe set in a land where you don't live or in there's an occupation being portrayed that you don't do and have never trained for i find that more interesting i want to be open to other experiences and other cultures and other lands you know we talk about diversity all the time and i think diversity gets a bad rap sometimes because it's so aggressively pushed and not authentic but you know when pixar puts out new movies about a culture i've never experienced i am I'm, I'm in you know i'm i'm, I'm fascinated and i want to i want to live through that well we have only a couple minutes left um, is there anything else you want to ask about me because we kind of we're kind of making this a dual interview so I, I don't think we're doing a, a, a x versus y it's kind of a back and forth so yeah well well uh, you know on the on the uh, on the subject of, of critics and, and criticism, did, did you happen to see the uh, documentary? You don't know. Uh, you don't know me by any chance. I don't think it's I did. About, no, it's about um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Showgirls. Um, it's the, uh, the the documentary of the uh, critical and cultural response to the uh, to the movie Showgirls. Oh, you know, I actually ran a review of that on my site from a, uh, a contributor, but I didn't see it directly. So that was it was interesting. It sounds like. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what um, you know. The, the person that, that was on on your site uh, had to say about it, but uh, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was really great, um, and uh, in particular, how you could have a movie that is just panned, you know, outright and just totally mm-hmm. ridiculous, and then have basically the, I guess, a, a different pair of eyes see it and show you things about it that you didn't know before. Um, and make it worthwhile to see it again. Oh, I love that. And by the way, your, your kids are too young, but mine, my oldest son and I love watching extraordinarily bad movies and processing them in a new way. And uh, so that's it's, it's an odd joy. And I think I like it the best when it's an authentic voice. You know, the, the movie Troll, Troll 2, Trolls 2, um, and, and uh, I guess The Room with, uh, what's his name, Tommy Wiseau. These are, these are bad filmmakers who are trying to make something profound. And they both failed miserably, but the fact that they tried so uh, enthusiastically and and couldn't pull it off is is so endearing to me. And I, I suspect maybe there's a showgirls aspect there as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I hope that I get there one day where <laughs> I could I could do something with so much heart. I put all my put everything I have behind it, and then uh, <laughs> it's the equivalent of like trolls do. <laughs> trolls do. Excellent. Well, before we kind of wrap up here, I want to get share where people can find you and get your work. Of course, your website is theluperez.com. You can find his tour dates, information about his podcast, which is, of course, is a must listen. And I'm, I guess you'll keep people up to date on, on when your book is coming out. Um, so check out all things Lou. I, I, I miss your work at uh, We the Internet, but you get some other stuff happening now. And if you go to his channel, there's some funny stuff. There's little bits, there's sketches, there's a podcast as well. So lots of content you're putting out. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to Virtue Bombs, for sure. Congratulations on, on the book. I have a little idea of what went into that. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm very happy that you made it through and that it's out there in the world. And I think, I think the most arduous part is the promotion cycle. So you'll be enjoying that in a few months, I'm sure. Right on.
Excellent. Well, thank you, Lou. Uh, one of the best voices in comedy out there. Check him out wherever you find him on a stage, on the internet, on YouTube. And uh, we will do this again and probably when your book comes out. Right on. That'd be great. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Thanks for listening to Ride on Hollywood. Of course, we're part of the Just the News podcasting family. Well, as I said before, my new book, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul, is available now. I hope you'll pick it up, tell a friend, leave a review on Amazon, do all the good things. We can help make Hollywood better. This is a book that tells you exactly how. But until next week, everyone stay happy and well. And if you're in a certain group where you're not in dire danger, maybe think about leaving that mask off. I don't know how effective it really is. Check the data, then come back to me. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email Christian at HollywoodandToto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever.